Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 395. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Oikstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hello. This week on the show, we'll be finally taking a look at Rose Glass's St. Maud, which is set to hit theaters in the U.S. this Friday. We'll also be going over some of the watching on the watch list, going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be extremely helpful. Housekeeping, the new episode of Say by the 90s is out now. Be sure to check that out. We take a deep dive into the 1995 TV show High Octane, created by uh, Sofia Coppola and hosted by Sofia Coppola and Zoe Cassavetes. Really interesting show. Turned into a really good discussion about it. So be sure to check that out. Did you see that? Kong versus Godzilla trailer that dropped today. Oh no, I did not. Oh boy, I am so ready for some kaiju action. I feel like we need some crazy kaiju action in our lives right now. And I gotta say, like the trailer, the trailer did not hold anything back. I mean, you just pretty much almost the whole trailer is the fight between the two. So it leads me to believe that there's a ton of this movie is just going to be the two of them fighting. Okay. Because I don't feel like that they'd give away that much in the trailer. You know, if it was just like one fight that happens at the end, I feel like they would hold back. But the fact that so much of the trailer is the fight, there must be a lot of of it going on. I'm really excited. Uh, Adam Wingard's directing it. It's going to be on HBO Max in March. They moved it up. Like, oh, boy. Yeah, they, they, I think by like two weeks or something. Um, but they, they, yeah, they moved the release date up. So they seem pretty confident about it. So I'm excited to check it out. All right, let's talk about some Saint Maud. Finally. This is written and, direct, yeah. <laughs> written and directed by Rose Glass. I have a synopsis here follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. I hate it when they do follows. Come on. Now you start a sentence with follows. What follows? Just give me a break. <laughs> this, this stars, uh, Morphid Clark, uh, and Jennifer L. Lily Knight. Kevin, we'll start it with you. What were your initial impressions of St. Maud? St. Maud. Okay. So this is one, this is a type of movie that I have a a slight difficulty with because it can go one of two ways, depending on the way in which I read the movie and, you know, everything that happens within it. And it's really, also, it's going to be really difficult to talk about this because again, this is one of those movies where all the interesting stuff to say about this is in the developments that happen towards the end of the movie which, you know, the spoilers. So, yeah, I agree. if I read it a certain way, which is essentially if all the things that are happening actually did happen, I like it. I enjoy it. But there's too much evidence in the movie mm. that leads me to believe that they're not happening. Yeah, uh, I am 100% in which, the same camp as you on this. And if it's that, which it has to be that, because that's what all the evidence is pointing it, it to. Ha- I'm pretty sure it has to be. Uh, it's just another 
fucking movie where, you know, oh, mental illness, which is just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, 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 tired of it. I'm 99% sure that it, it was the latter. So, and, and I completely agree with you. We've, we've seen a lot of movies like this before that, that handle this subject matter in very similar ways. I think that the things that are going for this movie is that it's all presented in a really creepy way and very atmospheric, very moody, lots of tension in this. There are some genuinely shocking moments in this. We're not going to give anything away as far as spoilers. Cause I think that that, I think the entire movie hinges on some of the uh, oh, yeah. spoiler type things that happen in it. So I think that we're going to tread very, very carefully when it comes to divulging specific things that happen in this movie. Uh, but there was like, there was one thing that happened that literally, not literally, but uh, figuratively <laughs> scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that literally did happen. No, I just shit, I just shit my pants. Um, yeah, there's, there's something that happens towards the end that like completely caught me off guard. Like I was just not ready for it to happen. And when it did happen, I was, it, it, I haven't felt like I haven't jumped like that in quite a long time. I'm, I'm sure you can probably guess which, which part I'm think I'm talking about, but it, I just, I was so shocked. And so it just really scared me. And, uh, I kind of, I, I was like, all right, you know, yeah, this movie yeah. definitely has my attention now. So that's the thing is there, there is that, that late development that happens that definitely got me to perk up a little bit, you know, cause up until that point, I was just kind of like, Oh, this is kind of ho-hum in the way of, you know, we've seen this numerous times before. I have a feeling I know how this is going to play out Yeah, because of the, the clues that I'm being given. Um, so there's that late stage development that was, kind of surprising and like i thought like oh okay they're gonna commit to this this is great i am totally on board but then you know it goes back to the whole like is this actually happening or isn't it not and it just kind of falls apart but for a a little a little moment there i did perk up in my seat because i was like all right this is different I, I think that that's the unfortunate thing about this movie is I think that it has so much going for it, but at the end of the day, uh, I knew exactly how things were going to play out. Not specifics, obviously, but at the general, like I generally knew how this downward spiral was going to turn out. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to just know where a movie's going and know what you're getting into as long as everything leading up to that. And then the final moments are, you know, satisfying. And yeah. I think, I think by and large it, it was, I was entertained by it. I think that it, this had a lot of really strong elements in it. I mean, I think that Morford Clark did a really good job in this. I was getting lots of flashbacks to possession in this, some light exorcist vibes in there too. So you, you kind of know where it's going, but the, I think the lead up is, is pretty satisfying. Over overall, I think that I, I like the color palette of this movie. I think that having everything kind of that have that brown drab hue, I enjoy. I like yeah. that. It's, it's miserable. Yeah, every, it's everything miserable. in this movie is just so brown and Ugh. and yeah, 
depressing. It just it, it it felt damp. Like everything. <laughs> yeah, mildew. Everything damp. smelled like mildew in this movie. <laughs> it made my room smell like mildew as I was watching it. <laughs> I I liked I liked that. There were a lot of really kind of bizarre moments that happen because what what you have here, and maybe we should talk about the plot a little bit. You have uh, Morford Clark's character as this a person who was hired as a caregiver to a woman who is dying of cancer, and she she moves in with her and she's taking care of her and. We know that there's something that happened, something that happened in her past that is causing her to sort of want to start her life over. But it also seems like she, she recently found God and she has become like super religious and she decides that she wants to save this woman. She thinks it's like, this is her calling and things, you know, kind of escalate from there. And, you know, gra- gradually you find out that, she, like, she's not going by her real name. So you think, okay, well, something, something definitely going on with this. And then, you know, you have that kind of spiral where she starts to lose it a bit. But then there's these almost supernatural elements that start to occur where you start questioning, like we talked about earlier, whether or not what is happening is in her head or is, is something supernatural going on. Yeah, I think I think we can all. I don't. I, yeah, I think, I think we, that's, that's the thing that disappoints me. Is because it seems like it was it was written in a way in which that it kind of leaves the door open for both, but to me it doesn't work because again I'm giving far too much visual evidence in the narrative itself that totally puts me in the camp of this isn't happening. You know, like there's just too much to points that this is not happening, which completely deflates the whole thing. And I just wish that there was a commitment, either make it far more ambiguous where I can't, you know, I can go either way or just a full commitment that this indeed is actually happening, which would just be very fresh It'd be a fresh approach. I agree. I just get one of these movies to do that instead of this. Oh, mental illness. You know, you you lose your grip on reality. Yeah. Everything's a metaphor these days. And I think that you can have movies that contain metaphors, but also commit to something being supernatural. I, I think that you can, you know, if you look at like, I don't know, the first one that comes to mind is like Dawn of the Dead, you know, where, Everything is a uh, is a metaphor for consumerism, but the zombies are real. Like they take place in the movie, so it's not like it's in everybody's head, you know. So yeah. it's possible to have like physical manifestations of these metaphorical concepts, but it's th- these movies they just don't do that anymore. Like everything is has to have this sort of ambiguity, as you were saying. And but but. I mean, more than that, I think that there's not much ambiguity in this movie, especially the final scene that happens. Yeah. Uh, again, not going to give it away, but the, like, there's there's something that happens at the very, very end of the movie that, to, to, for me, solidified the fact that, okay, yeah, there's actually not really any ambiguity yeah. happening here. But that's not to say that I didn't find a lot of the 
scenes to be sort of striking and at, at times powerful. I mean, the fact that she, she like Maud in and of herself is an interesting character to, to see her. The fact that we didn't, it wasn't exactly um, spelled out from the beginning, like what she did or, or even who she is. We gradually got to know her and then started to see this sort of inner turmoil that she was having and in this sort of like battle with herself that she was having in her mind. Uh, and then like little shades of what she did in the past. And like, you know, you see things like she has like scars and stuff and you're just like, okay, there's something going on here. And then the way that she uh, t- like sort of tortures herself in, in like a, in sacrifice for her, uh, I guess, I don't know why she does it. Her thought the the bad negative thoughts <laughs> like she, what the the, the what popcorn like the where she yeah but what's that what's the flagellation yeah self flagellation self flagellation but I think that that refers to specifically when you like do the when you whip yourself true I don't I I'm pretty sure that's like specific to that and she doesn't do that she finds other ways to show her devotion to God and some of them are pretty <laughs> extreme and and really uh skin crawling there's a couple skin crawling moments when I was watching this uh I was eating a, a Jimmy Dean breakfast scramble and <laughs> I I got to the scene when she's like pick she has like a scab mm, and nope. she's like picking at a scab you just look and i'm eating <laughs> i'm eating this breakfast scramble which is scrambled <laughs> eggs and sausage and and like a um bacon like little slivers of bacon and i'm like trying to eat it and she's like picking at this scab and i'm just like oh, come on <laughs> oh i love it it became an interactive experience for you. Yeah, it was like the the bacon, the way that the bacon, those slivers of bacon mm-hmm. looked compared yep. to the scab that, sure. that I was watching on scab. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm now eating her scab. Is what I was thinking. I'm eating her scabs, and it was, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a 4D experience. I think, as they call it in the theater world. <laughs> to be fair, like I generally like the movie overall. I I. I think that it's it's overall messaging and and theme and everything are really what brought it down for me. But overall, I, I still would say that I I enjoyed it and I would recommend it. There are a couple of really great scenes and also some scenes that felt a little bit too. I don't want to say lengthy, but may, maybe a little bit, maybe a little overwrought. Like the there's a scene that that takes place in a pub. And it feels like yeah. it feels just yeah. a little bit too long. Like I understand the scene, like what they were going for, and it, it was a great scene just because of how awkward it was. It was so awkward and just very uncomfortable. And I liked the scene overall, but it just felt like so much of the movie was spent during in that one scene. When I found the all of the other like the caretaker scenes to be more compelling than than something like that yeah it does seem i mean and i guess that's kind of trying to manifest that in the in in terms of the storytelling where it, it seems like it kind of lost its way after after the you know we're removed from the home care situation to which i right. guess is trying to parallel her losing her way but it does 
it did definitely, it felt like it dipped significantly for me at that point. And then, like I said, it comes, it comes back mm-hmm. and, you know, you got me to sit, sit up upright with the, with, you know, where it was going. But again, it's just, it ended up just being another one of those movies, which is just so disappointing for me. Yeah. I just, I feel like we've just seen so many of these movies lately and like, it's not to say that this isn't well made. I think it is extremely well made. Oh, yeah. I, I liked the camera work. I liked the uh everything felt very claustrophobic as far as the framing. Like everything was pulled in way too far, so most things were like ha- like cut off and not within the frame and I I liked that choice. I liked a lot of the stylistic choices in this. Uh there was a one scene that for for some reason and this is like completely has nothing to do with the uh, like the visuals, but I was just reminded of it for some reason is the the scene when her she meets she ends up meeting this friend of hers, I guess from her past, and at one point she comes over to her apartment, which by the way, like her apartment is rough. If I took one f- stepped one foot in that apartment, I'd be turning around and walking right out because I'd be like, okay, something's wrong here like th- there's something's not right with this with this lady, and I gotta get out of this situation, but she doesn't do that. she comes over and she's like talking to her. For like, I don't know, three minutes or something, and she's completely ignoring her. So like, Maud is not even saying anything, and this this woman is just trying to interact with her, and she just keeps talking to her. And like after I don't know ten seconds, I would just be like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go. I'll see you." But she doesn't do that. Not only is she ignoring her. You know, you can see that, like, she's physically on the outside, like, <laughs> yeah. breaking down within that three-minute span. But you're just, yeah, like, you should immediately be like, all right, this is not, I shouldn't be here. Like, this is not good. Yeah, she clearly doesn't know how to read the room, because she just, she lingers there. But then, like, that character leaves, and that's the end of it. Like, we never see that character again. That's That's just the end of that character's arc and i don't i mean i i guess i can understand i understand that scene and i understand like the the previous interaction that she has with her when that's when we discover that you know there's a lot more that happened in mod's past than what we knew from the onset but i don't know i i thought that there was going to be a little bit more development there with yeah. with the people who knew her from from before, but that would be, if anything, a nitpick. I think, and a lot of this for me is it's not necessarily the fault of the film itself. I think this is a lot of this is born out of the the expectations, considering that a we've been waiting for this movie for quite some time. B, when it played festivals, there was so much talk about it and how like incredible it was. So, of course, I had it kind of built up in, in my mind. I had these unreasonable expectations that this was going to somehow be different. You know, it was really going to catch me off guard when, you know, it turns out it's just more of the same, really. Um, so, like, that's kind of the big issue for me, but that's not necessarily the fault of the film that was kind of born out of you know, people discussing it in the early stages of it playing festivals and the like. Yeah. Uh, there was certainly a lot of 
hype around this one because uh, as you said it did play festivals but it also did play theaters across the country and i know that i think it 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 played a bunch of theaters but it might have got some sort of really small release here this was coming out right when the pandemic was hitting full force so it really this release got really messed up i mean everything got messed up this one was really messed up because I think it ran in theaters for like a couple days or something, and it was very strange. But it's getting like a full-on release now in theaters, though, not on VOD. So hmm. this, so this will not be on VOD on Friday. <laughs> now it is, it is coming out. They, it's a deal with uh, Epics, I believe. Epic. Yeah, so it's oh. going to be on Epics. It's Epics. Epics is like a, a paid, like a you know, like stars or one of them. Give me a break. Yeah, so it's it so it's going to be at theaters and drive-ins Friday, and then on Epics February twelfth. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Just put it out on VOD A twenty four. Come on, yeah. Why being yeah. weird about this one? Because they're they're A twenty four. Sorry, because uh, I can tell you right now, do not go to a theater to see this. I do don't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like some movies, I would say I really wish I had the theatrical experience, like um, like Synchronic. I wish I was able to see that in the theater, and there are a couple other ones. But with this one, I feel like I didn't. There wasn't anything that I missed out. I think. No, I, the only thing for me, theater-wise, would be interesting to to see if. I could see more of it because that's another thing that I'm getting really sick and tired with modern horror movies is where they're like, let's have it be really dark, but you can't really tell what's happening. And it just irritates the shit out of me. This one, this movie doesn't do it as much, thankfully. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't recall any issues where I was having a hard time seeing stuff, but I mean, everything in this is pretty drab. So yeah, yeah. That could have something to do with it. Which, again, I liked. I liked the aesthetic. So there you have it. That is St. Maud. A little bit of a disappointment, but I would still say that I I liked it overall. Uh, Let's go ahead and give it a score. I'm sitting at around a six and a half on this one. Okay. I give it a five. Straight down the middle. There you go. Straight down the middle. They have it. If it's playing in a drive-in, this is playing drive-ins. Might be a fun. Oh, going through in a drive-in thing. Yeah, it might might be fun for a drive-in movie. It's weird that drive-ins would still be open in the middle of the winter. I mean, like typically drive-ins are seasonal. So yeah, I mean at least where we lived, maybe out in like warmer climates. Yeah, because yeah. I can't I can't imagine you know. With it being like 19 degrees out. I mean, that's that was the best part, you know? Like, yeah, like the, like going to the drive-in, having the windows down. It's like a you know cool, cool summer evening. Just I've I loved going to the drive-in. I've only been a few times in my life, but I loved every moment of the few times that I've been there. All right, let's talk about someone watching. I believe it's my turn this week. Just a couple things. I saw The White Tiger on Netflix. This came out over the weekend. This is directed by Raman Barani. 
I didn't really know too much about this going into it. I think I maybe saw a, tr- a trailer for it, but the trailer doesn't really reveal too much about what it is. Uh, so what you have here is a... Uh, it tells this, the story of this Indian man who grows up in this uh, very poor village. He's on the lower caste system. Uh, cast in the in their caste system which admittedly i don't know a lot about the indian caste system but he's on the lower one and so basically he's born and raised to be a servant so like all he knows all he desires is to to serve people in the higher caste and he he just wants to wants to have a, a master and he wants to just make enough money to send back to his family and his village and he just because he's a really ambitious, smart kid, he ends up getting a job as a driver for this uh, wealthy family. And it, it almost plays out like a, uh, like one of those, like a, like a Goodfellas or like a, like a, like a Scarface or one of these types of movies where he starts with nothing and then he builds, builds himself up and, it jumps back and forth in time. So like it starts off with him today and he's like, he's rich. He's got like a, a, well, he's got a really successful business. And then there's this little thing that comes out. It's like a fax that he gets and it's like a wanted poster. And it says that he's wanted for murder. So it kind of hooks you in early on and you're like, okay, what, how did he get here? Like, what is this? And then it's just him telling his life story. The, the the sort of narrative through line is that he's writing a letter to, I think it's like a Chinese, um, I can't remember who it was in the movie. It wasn't like the president, but it was like a high level dignitary and who was, who was going to be visiting the country and looking for successful entrepreneurs. And so the the whole kind of through line is that he's writing this letter, and in this letter he's telling his life story to this uh, high level Chinese politician, and it's it's okay. Uh, I you know I, there there's certain things that I think uh, I could have done without. I mean the narration I think was not great. I understand why it was there because of the whole letter aspect, but I think that they maybe could have done this, told the story in a in a more streamlined way than what they did. Uh, but other than that, I think it was, uh, it was fairly entertaining. I would give it maybe a light recommend the white tiger. There's some interesting things that happen in it. And, it, and it's strange. It's like, uh, it's not super serious. There's a lot of kind of lighthearted moments to it, but it does get, you know, quite dramatic at times as well. And the people that he works for, Real pieces of shit. Uh, I got around to Dario Argento's Deep Red, 1975. Oh, now you need to tread very carefully with what you're going to say next, because Why? this is like one of my all-time favorites. So, Well, I'll, I'll just get take care of that right off the bat. This movie's awesome. Okay. All right. So, you, breathe, breathe easy. Okay, good, good. Uh, the, the main thing that I wasn't really expecting, um, and I mean, I've always liked goblin scores, but the drumming in this movie, like the drums it, of it, the score. Isn't it are, amazing? It, it's it's hard as shit. It, it, it feels so far ahead of its time. 
that, like when you hear the the deep red soundtrack, you could put this on. I mean, I listen to the deep red soundtrack, and if the the, the music sounds way more contemporary than what you yeah. would think. Oh, and it's so good. It's yeah. so incredible. So right off the bat, score's great. Uh, you have the incredible architecture that's utilized so well here. Yeah, I mean, you have the the Mooka inspired architecture, the Art Nouveau. I mean, the house that he ends up going to, you know, the the ghost house or whatever. Like the the windows in that place are just ridiculous, just incredible. Uh, of course, you got your you know your apartment complex with the centralized elevator that's used to perfection, which. You know, it can't be an Italian movie from the 70s mm-hmm. without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, just everything about it, I just thought was pretty damn incredible. I thought the, 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 the synth, the synth player got out a, a little bit out of control at times. Just maybe a shorter leash on the synth player. Rain <laughs> <laughs> them in a little bit. Uh, but the way in which the the guy eats it at the end with the his head exploding mm-hmm. after being dragged around like that was that wasn't that was nuts so that was just completely insane I was not ready for that uh, and this is also the second movie now of of this year this very young year where I've seen a woman like impaled by like her throat like right right at right underneath the chin on on a, a piece of glass. And man, that's really difficult to watch. Yeah, something that just gets you right in the spine. Yeah, and of course the camera, the camera work is incredible. The way they utilize the all the spaces, especially from the like the the apartment complex out onto that like pavilion, whatever it is, you know, with the the Hopper esque bar. Mm-hmm. The one guy plays piano at. Like it's just incredible. I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, this is my favorite Argento. It's my favorite Giallo. I just, uh, I just freaking love this movie. Arrow put out a really good version of this that has like multiple versions of the movie. There's like the original version, and they put out an export version, which is like the R-rated, like U.S. version and stuff. And the, the they changed a bunch of stuff around. So, okay, it's um. <clears throat> Yeah, highly recommend it. I freaking love this movie so much. I, I revisit this movie a lot. Oh, I, I definitely, I can tell that I'm going to be doing the same. It's the drumming. Yeah, I God. mean, for for some reason, this is one that, like most Giallo movies, I, lo- I love Giallo movies. We've talked about it a ton on the show, but for some reason, like I find a lot of them, like after I know who the killer is and stuff, like I just don't feel a need to revisit them. But th- for, for whatever reason, this movie I find to be very rewatchable. So I end up going back to it a lot. Oh yeah, because there's, I mean, you got a great score, you got great camera work, you got great settings, and you actually have like some really shocking violence in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they released the uh, the score on vinyl like not too long ago, and in fact, in fact, we were in a we were in a record store last time you were in New York, and we went to that record store. Oh yeah. Right. They had the deep red vinyl and I almost bought it and I really really wish I did. Kind of uh maybe maybe segueing from the uh, impaling aspect of uh deep red. I saw a movie called Hunted 
which does have a pretty gnarly stabbing in it. Somebody stabs Ooh. somebody in the ear with an arrow. Mm. And it's a pretty brutal scene. Unfortunately, that's really the only th- the only highlight that I could say from this movie. This is directed by Vincent Pernod, who is the guy who did Persepolis. Remember that movie from 2007? Animated? Yeah. Animated movie? Yeah. yeah uh, this is the same director. He also did Chicken with Plums. So, uh, this movie is a reimagining of of Little Red Riding Hood. Sort of. I mean, that's what they're going for. But really, it's just like this woman wears a red jacket and she's being hunted by a guy who has some like wolf-like features and then they throw in this like wolf imagery and have a lot of like screaming and growling and stuff like that in it. And it's just, uh, eh. it's pretty bad. Uh, what you have here is a fairly typical revenge thriller. Uh, it's about a woman who meets this guy at a bar. They kind of hit it off. Uh, he's like really smooth talking her and stuff. They end up going to his car, start to make out in his car. And then it turns out that he and this other guy kidnap her. And they take her out to the woods in order to record a snuff movie, but she escapes before anything, you know, truly horrific can happen. And the rest of the movie is like them trying to catch her and where, where that goes. There are some slightly interesting set pieces that occur. There's a scene when she actually does make it out and gets to a, uh, like a convenience store, like a gas station and tries to get help there. And, what happens there is kind of kind of interesting. But the big problem with this movie is that everybody's so stupid that they make the worst decisions ever. And I can't understand why anyone would make half the decisions that are made in this movie. Like the whole time you're just screaming at the screen, like what the fuck are you doing? Cause it's just so ridiculous. So, so many of the <clears throat> things that occur in this movie, it's, it's like, why, why is this happening? Uh, the, the whole Little Red Riding Hood thing is like a complete afterthought. It's, it's dumb. And I don't know. And I don't think anybody should see it thinking like, oh, this might be cool. It's like, you know, like what they did with the Invisible Man sort of where they bring it. They bring the, the classic tale into like a modern setting and like have other things represent other things. It's, it's so on the nose and dumb and bland. There's some interesting stuff. Uh, visuals here every now and then i liked the camera work for the most part they do some pretty interesting things with the camera and how the camera moves it's very kinetic lots of cool looking zoom ins and and movements on the camera but other than that i would say it is i I do not recommend hunted it's got a crazy looking poster like the poster is pretty horrifying looking but the movie itself is largely consists of uh this woman being chased through the woods and you know there's there's some violence in, in it but it i don't know it it really lost me by the end too so can't recommend hunted but if you do want to see it it is on shutter okay all right uh the only other thing i watched is the watchmaker of saint paul also known as the clockmaker of saint paul depending on where you're looking uh, this is currently playing on the Criterion channel. This is directed by Bertrand 
Travenier. And this is based on a Simeon novel. And this is pretty damn good. This is another movie that has a really great score. Some great drumming. Got this like military style uh, drum line to it. And all it essentially is about is Philip Noiré plays a, he's a watchmaker, clockmaker. Um, and he's out with his friends one night having dinner and everything. He comes home. His son's not home. He doesn't think anything of it. And then the next day, the police come around and start asking him questions. And what finally revealed to him is that his son killed a man and he's now a fugitive and they're, they're looking for him. So what follows is essentially just him kind of like coming to terms with the fact that his son has killed someone the way, you know, the people in the, in the town are treating him now, now that they know. Um, and he has this, it's kind of this mix of introspection of like how this could have happened and like, did he really know his son, that type of thing. And of course some anger that's building up inside of him. And he kind of develops this relationship with like the lead detective on the case that's trying to find his son. They're, they're about the same age and they both have kids. So they're kind of, you know, having these discussions because this also takes place during uh, this movie is 1974. So it's like the leftist movement in, in France. So they're kind of coming to this realization that they're completely out of touch with their children and at the you know the things that that are happening and of course the 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 media is trying to turn it into this like political situation but he doesn't necessarily think that that's what's happening here and it's just a really solid movie great score great performances camera work is fantastic and uh i just thoroughly enjoyed this one and i've been wanting to watch this forever and now it's finally on Criterion Channel. Yeah, check that out. That's The Watchmaker of St. Paul from 1974. All right, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the 26th, we have The Judge, Character, Cases, Courage. It's a documentary about mm-hmm. a judge, I guess. Famous, mm-hmm. maybe a famous judge. Who knows? Perhaps. Uh, on the, also on the 26th, we have Ninth Circuit Cowboy, The Long Good Fight of Judge Harry Pregerson. What are the odds that there are <laughs> two... <laughs> seriously, two documentaries that are coming out on the same day about different judges. How bizarre is that? It's, it is. It is bizarre. We also have A Woman's Work. This is a documentary about NFL cheerleaders. Okay. I thought you were going to say judges. And I was about to lose <laughs> my so mind. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how I would process that if there were three judge documentaries coming out on the same day. On the 27th, we have Penguin Bloom. That's on Netflix. Stars Naomi Watts, Andrew Lincoln, Jackie Weaver, based on the inspiration true story. Hmm. Then on the 29th, we have True Mothers. This is a virtual theatrical release. This is the uh, Japan's entry in the 2021 Academy Awards. Okay. 
We have The Funeral Home. That's another virtual cinema horror, horror movie. Nothing ever, nothing here ever rests in peace. Funeral uh, Home. Look out. I get it. I get it. We have Below Zero. That's on Netflix as well. No synopsis for that one. What? Yeah, I'm not. not it, it's a crime thriller, I believe, but I'm not sure what country it hails from. I haven't really Keep looked it into it. Secret. I haven't looked into it too much. But yeah, weirdly, there's no synopsis on the Netflix media page. It might be up there I now. I added this like a week ago. Well, uh, I, I just pulled it up on Letterboxd and there's oh. nothing. It's, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Bizarre. We have Just Don't Think I'll Scream. This is another virtual cinema release. We have The Night. The Night's a psychological thriller that follows an Iranian couple, Babak and Neda, and their one-year-old daughter, Shabnam. Creepy haunted house type movie. This, this one is interestingly the first U.S. produced film to get distribution in Iran for the last 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we have Softy. That's a virtual cinema release. That is a documentary, I believe. It's about uh, a guy running for office in Kenya, I believe. We have The Reunited States. That's another virtual cinema release. That's um, a documentary, a political documentary about like coming together, uniting, mm-hmm. the, uniting our divided country and all that. It's from uh, Van Jones and Meghan McCain. <laughs> so there you have it best of luck yeah I'll be skipping that one Haymaker is coming out this is a, some kind of maybe Muay Thai yeah Muay Thai movie okay we got Savage State this is a western American Civil War breaks out family of French colonists settled in Missouri decide to go back to France mm-hmm okay we also mm-hmm. have, this is another crazy coincidence, Savage. So we have Savage State, and we have Savage. So, lots of, lots of connections this week. Savage is a New Zealand film about uh, street gangs, like biker gangs, I believe. Okay. We have Palmer. This is on Apple TV+. Plus. This is the one with Justin Timberlake. Former high school football star Eddie Palmer. Oh, yeah? Went from hometown hero to convicted felon, earning himself 12 years in the state penitentiary. He returns home to take care of his kid. Looks, uh, looks pretty bad, I'm going to be honest. Directed by Fisher Stevens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then finally we have Beginning, which is going to be on Mubi. On Blu-ray this week. So lots of VOD stuff this week. Nothing, nothing that looks super compelling to me, but I don't know. Below zero, I'm kind of curious about. <laughs> they got you with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, there's like some stills from it. It looks like a like a crime thriller. So I don't know. Um, the night is another one that I might look into. On Blu-ray this week, we have Southland Tales from 2006. That's getting an Arrow release. We have... Okay. I never saw that. Same here, and I want to. 
I just, I mean, like, I remember when it came out and just everybody, it was like one of those movies that everybody was like hating on so bad. And it was like, you know, three hours long or however long it is. And it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to sit down and dedicate some time to it at some point. Because I, th- I believe that it's one of those movies that people are coming around on. You know, it's, oh, like, yeah. it's, like, sh- it's like Showgirls, like one of those where there was, it was really maligned when it first came out, but now people are kind of loving it. Uh, we have After the Thin Man from 1936. Got Court Jester from 1956. Uh, Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro from 1979 is coming out. Uh, I love how Lupin is getting this, uh, or Lupin is getting this kind of resurgence. Yeah. With the uh, Netflix series and the Lupin the Third, the first animated film that came out last year, the end of last year. Getting, I, I just remember, I think that was one of the very first Adult Swim shows. Was Lupin the Third? It was you like one, it was like their first when they when they when Adult Swim started. That was like their first anime that they had. Because I remember seeing it on on uh, Cartoon Network all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Constant. Have you seen the Netflix show? No, I have not. But I am intrigued. I watched pretty good. Yeah, I watched the first, I think, one or two episodes, and it was really good. It's a little silly at times, like just the leaps in logic that that occur, and just the insane coincidences that that happen. But it's still really fun. We got Fat Man coming out. I talked about that last week. Light recommend. Wouldn't recommend it on Blu-ray. We have Dark Tower from 1989, Family Portraits, a trilogy of America from 2003. That's going to be a Severin release. Synchronic is coming out. That's the Benson and Moorhead one, which I would definitely recommend checking out. The House of Usher from 1989. We have the the Pajama Game from 1957. There's a new Batman. I don't know if it's new. Yeah, it is. I think it is new. Uh, Batman animated movie called Soul of the Dragon. We have Silent Madness in 3D from 1984. He's out now. The terror has just begun. Oh, man. Looks like a classic 80s slasher right there. The AGFA Horror Trailer Show is coming out. That's going to be a collection from the American Genre Film Archives of, of like obscure horror movie trailers. Okay. Those are always fun. Good News from 1947. Room for One More from 1952. Gamera, the Showa era, which is the collection of this. I believe this is a re-release because I'm pretty sure this came out a while ago and maybe it's, this is like a more stripped down version. This is the, the 1965 to 1980 Gamera movies. And then they're also releasing the high, uh, high C era, high Sci era which is from 1995 to 2006, and that's going to be in a separate collection. Those are both Arrow releases. <clears throat> uh, Taxi Girls and Heavenly Desire from 1979. That's a double pack. Fade to Black from 1980. This came out recently. Maybe I don't know if this is a re-release or what, but I know that it got a Blu-ray release not too long ago. This is from Vinegar Syndrome. Come Play from last year is coming out. We have The Swimmer from 1968. What? I thought, the, that, I thought that already came out. I don't, I don't know. 
like a couple months ago. It says there's Maybe a deluxe. It says deluxe oh. edition. Oh, it's the okay, okay, deluxe edition. This is the Grindhouse releasing version. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I don't know what um, is different about this one, but uh, let's see. Genocyber from 1994. What is this? Genocyber. Discotech Media. A nightmarish combination of cybernetics and psychic potential. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if this is an anime. It looks like an anime. I think it is. Revenge of the Bushido Blade from 1980. Empedagore from... I believe that came out last year. Maybe... maybe late 2019 that's that's a shutter release that's also available on shutter i've been meaning to get to this one uh hopefully soon sit down and watch this i heard good things don't panic from 1988 that's going to be a vinegar syndrome the theater bizarre is that a that might also be a vinegar syndrome no it's a severin get the two mixed up born a champion looks like some kind of boxing fighting movie starring sean patrick flannerty Ghost Light, The Adventures of Thomas and Felix, Magic Max, and that's about it. What about Criterions? Uh, we got one Criterion. That's The Ascent from 1977. Getting, getting a re-release of Blu-ray. Uh, new commentary, new video introduction, uh, new subtitles, shorts, new interviews, all sorts of stuff packed on there. Nice. Check it out. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be extremely helpful. For Kevin Rachel, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.